Today's read, Midnight and the Meaning of Love by Sister Soja, Chapter 15, Bangs. Just as I reached the corner, I heard the roar of the wheels on the gravel. Then she sped past me from behind and did a 180 in the middle of the street on her old-fashioned red roller skates. Lucky for her, the light had just turned green or she could have gotten hit and tossed by an oncoming Toyota Celica. She saw some shock in my expression and bent over laughing and came right back up. Her head moved swiftly from right to left, calculating the remaining time to cross the street safely. But she couldn't possibly hear the cars and trucks because she had her headphones on and her Walkman tucked at her waist. She spun on her heels again and crossed swiftly. Now she was on one side of the street and I was still on the other, watching her with the red traffic light glaring strong. She put her hands on her waist and flagged me over. I let a few cars flash by, then dashed across still on the red. She was smiling and beaming with happiness like she didn't have one worry in this world. With her long, thick red laces and short, tight denim shorts that hugged her small waist, I could see her belly button and about four inches of her naked, flat belly before her tight, red tee clenched onto her breasts. Her bare shoulders were covered with a sheen of perspiration, and a small wet spot leaking through revealed that she was still breastfeeding her baby. It was Bangs. Hey, superstar. Do you know how to roller skate? She called out to me as I approached where she was steady rocking. Vega was just easing into his car, parked on the same side where Bangs was standing waiting for me. Soon as I peeped him, I got tight. I didn't want Coach to think I had some bullshit excuse why I was going to miss practice next week. Like I was out here, just fucking with these girls and doing what they wanted me to do instead of what I was responsible for. Second, I didn't like bangs showing off her body, her banging body, to any man who wanted to look. I already knew that every man would look, especially if it was bangs. They had to. Of course... I noticed Vega's eyes were riding in and out of her curves. Oh yeah, that's right. You don't do nothing fun. Bangs joked, removing her headphones and wearing them now like a necklace and smiling still. Vega pulled off slowly. When I reached where she was, standing and rocking back and forth on on her wheels, I walked past her. She sucked her teeth and followed me. Superstar, word up, I'm starting to think you straight crazy if you can't even speak to me. It's either you really are crazy or you just in love with me too and can't face up to it. She was talking to the back of my head. On the curb, I turned to face her. Bangs. Go home and uh uh-uh, she interrupted. You can't send me home tonight. It's only nine and you know I got till 11 to get home. So let me just hang out with you for a little while, okay? She was flashing her deep dimples and still smiling while posting her attitude. Go back and put on some clothes. Then I'll talk to you, I told her. Walk me over, she asked. Nah, bangs, it ain't gonna be me and you up in your house. You should already know that, I told her. 
I'll be at the bookstore. Put on some clothes and you can meet me over there. I started stepping. What bookstore? She asked, riding over and pulling up to me from behind. Her hands were grabbing each side of my waist as though she needed to balance herself. You know, the one over there by the pharmacy where you buy your grandmother's medicine, I reminded her. There's a bookstore over there? She asked. Later was all I said. I left. I heard her wheels take off. All I could think was, how could she have a bookstore in her own hood and never step inside of it once? Worse, it was as though she never even noticed that it was there. No wonder Marty Bookbinder's store was always empty. Every time I went in there, I had full range of the place. I knew I could chill in there comfortably until closing at 11 p.m. If I was bored, I could pick up a good game of chess, although over the years I had learned to outmaneuver Marty on his own chessboard the majority of the time. My good friend, my main man, Marty said. It was his version of cool. Let me pull out the board. He was excited to have me in his empty store packed with plenty of books and magazines. Let me look around first, I told him, after returning his greetings, and that slowed him down some. Look around. You know everything that's in here already. I maneuvered around the geography section until I found a book on Japan. I sat in the comfortable lazy boy chair in the mystery section where I normally purchased most of my books. I cracked the book open and flipped the pages until I found the map of Japan. I began examining it, looking for Kyoto, Akimi's home spot, and the place where her high school was located. I was also looking for a place called Jinza. I remembered that when I wrote to her father concerning my desire to marry his daughter, Akimi, I did not address the letter to Kyoto. I wondered if it was Akimi's father's business address, or if they had moved from Kyoto, or if they actually had more than one or two homes. I had gotten the address from Akimi, but never bothered to find out why she did not give me a Kyoto address. I could see from the map that Jinza and Roppongi were prefectures of Tokyo. It was like how the Bronx and Queens are boroughs of New York. When I measured the distance, I could see that Jinza was in Tokyo and Kyoto was three hours away from Tokyo by train or six hours by car moving at 60 miles per hour. My mind drifted deep into the map as I studied every detail. I burnt up almost an hour reviewing the atlas before I began flipping and reading through two books that I had pulled. Later, as I stuck the two books back on the shelf, I saw an old lady wearing a wide hat through the small, empty space where the books went. Marty finally got a customer while I was in his store, I thought to myself. As I stepped out into the aisle, her hat with a pile of tissue paper flowers pinned on, on the top, prevented anyone from seeing her face. 
She had a long flowered dress that was obviously too big for her and that dragged on the floor like she was a homeless person wearing oversized secondhand clothing. The big white plastic pearls that were draped around her neck was the killer part of her outfit. But when my eyes dropped onto her feet, her red Reeboks didn't match nothing. I paused for a second and looked at the red Reeboks again. The old lady purposely stepped in my way and looked right into my face, snatching away her hat and dropping her blonde wig to the floor. She clapped her hands together and started cracking up. It was crazy ass bangs. I was mad, but I had to laugh. I was tight, but she was funny. I borrowed one of my grandmother's dresses. It don't fit, but I figured you would like this a lot. She began smoothing the tent-sized dress out with her hands and demonstrating to me that her arms and legs and even her body were all covered. I had already noticed that without her pointing it out or exaggerating it. She smiled brightly. She was being swallowed and eaten by the dress. No, psych. I just wanted to see you laugh, superstar. You be way too serious, she said, dropping the huge dress to the floor. Underneath, she wore jeans and a short-sleeved blouse. She looked more decent than she had in her hot pants and roller skates, less naked. She bent over and picked up the dress that lay deflated on the floor like an old hot air balloon. She folded it and held it in her left hand. What is going on? Marty Bookbinder appeared in the back where we were standing. Don't ask, I told him calmly. Is she one of your friends? He questioned. I'm Tiffany, Bangs introduced herself. Marty reached in to shake her hand. I intercepted him before he touched her and he drew it back. Here, Marty, I'm going to buy this, I said, handing him the geography book while at the same time using the book to separate him from Bangs. Marty was always smart. He picked up on my sentiments, took one last concentrated stare at Bangs, and then turned to head toward the cash register. Let me talk to you over there, I said to Bangs. She sat down on the chair opposite the lazy boy. So I took that comfortable chair for myself. What's up, Bangs? Why are you always chasing me? I asked her. She just sat there staring at me with her eyes brighter than searchlights, not saying anything. You said you wanted to talk, not talk, I pushed. Suddenly, she stopped smiling and kicking her feet even while she was sitting. Her face turned serious and she said, I love you, superstar. I felt my heart melt a bit. I sat back some in my chair. I kept my face blank. I didn't want to encourage her. Yet, her admiration for me and the tone of her talk and the sudden seriousness of her pretty face moved me some. I was searching for the words to decline her affections without being mean. The truth was, I didn't hate her. I didn't even find her annoying. I thought she was real attractive and full of life and energy and jokes, but I wasn't the type to just move on impulse. I had already thought it out and thoroughly. I had interacted with her some, watched her closely. I had discovered that her infant child was the result of molestation by her own blood-related uncle, and it seemed that she was still, that she still had ongoing dealings with him which turned me off and away completely. Bangs claimed she hated him, but there were signs that she allowed him 
to continue to violate her even after she knew it was wrong. I couldn't be sure, but for me, that was the point. When it came to my women, I had to be sure. I wasn't interested in taking advantage of things, although I knew it would be easy. I wouldn't take her as a wife because I knew she did not know one thing about or understand or even have an interest in my Muslim faith and lifestyle. I knew she would not be acceptable to my Ummah, and Ummah is my standard. As a Muslim man, I knew I could have more than one wife, but this was not a game to me. My father is a great man, so he has three wives. He is a true believer, wealthy, accomplished, and proven. He deserves all that he has and chose wisely and treats his wives lovingly and fairly from what I could see as a young man. He provides. Each wife has a separate home of her own, all on our estate, which my father built and financed and owns. I was not foolish enough to believe that I deserved a second wife or that I was fully prepared to protect and provide for her. Even my first wife was not part of my teenage plan. Akimi was a great love, very much mutual, that took me by a storm. I had to step up and in. I wanted to. She was a virgin. I was a virgin. She worked hard. I worked hard. She was talented. I was dedicated. We were connected solidly in every way without a common language between us. You don't love me. You just think that you do. You don't really know me, Bangs. If you did, you wouldn't even want to be bothered with my way of life. You would have to change up everything that you're doing now just to be considered by me. So you see, it's too much trouble for you. I said earnestly, but also trying not to blame her or hurt her feelings. What am I doing that's so wrong? She asked sincerely. It's not just one thing. Actually, it would take too long to explain. Come on, tell me something. Run it by me. I want to know what you're talking about, she urged, flinging one of her legs across the other and easing her body forward to listen intently. After a thoughtful pause, I answered her in a way that I thought she might understand, a way that might make her take a look at herself instead of only looking at me. How long you know me, Bangs? You never even offered me one glass of water. You see a man is out here working and even even hustling on these courts a few hours every night. You never thought to offer me a cool drink. I've been in your house. You never offered me a stew, sandwich, or a cookie. You think you're ready, but you wouldn't even know what to do with a man. I said, picking the smallest, easiest criticism on purpose. True that, she said regretfully. And how many men you been talking to since we met? I asked, not expecting a true answer, just trying to show her something. So if it didn't work out between you and me, would you just roll with the next cat that you had lined up? I asked with a serious face, not angry, 
but telling her my real thoughts. When she didn't have no quick responses like usual, I knew I was affecting her. Didn't you say I had your heart? If I got your heart, how could there be a next man online? Is it a game? I asked her. If I don't got you and I don't talk to no other guys, how am I supposed to get you out of my heart, superstar? Why does it have to be somebody? Why can't you just go home and take care of your daughter? Go to school and put your mind on something else. Because that's boring and I'm young. I need real love in my life, she answered. And besides, when I be with other guys, that's just talking. It's only you who I love. She looked right at me to try and show her true intent. She didn't even blink. Come on, superstar. Let me get a do-over, she said, smiling wildly once again. I'll change. I'll change for you. I want you to be my man and my daughter's father for real. I'll do anything. Just tell me. Nah, it ain't easy like that. It's not just something you wake up doing tomorrow. First, you're going to at least have some learning and understanding. I'm smart. Just because I'm funny and I like to have fun doesn't mean that I'm not smart, superstar. There was a pause between us. What type of books you like to read, I asked her, not seriously expecting a reply, but trying to show her that she really wasn't serious or smart enough. Huh? What? She replied, just how I expected she would. I rephrased my question. What is the name of the last book that you read? I asked. Seconds and then a full minute passed. She didn't have a title, an answer or a clue. Not even any of the books that surrounded her here in the bookstore could trigger any thoughts in her mind or memory, it seemed. Okay, but I can read. What do you want me to read? I'll read it. Then you can come over to my house and we can discuss it, she said it like she might mean it, but always with her, there was a strong trace of humor in everything. Always with her. She tried to ease me up into her bedroom. I knew she wanted to feel something. I knew she wanted me to go in her. I also knew that a real relationship couldn't start or be held together with just that. But at the same time, I wanted her to be a better woman, at least so she could be in a position to raise her daughter right. You're in a bookstore. You look around. Pick out a few books. I'll buy them for you. You show me that you are really going to try to improve some of your thoughts and ways. Then we'll see, I said calmly. I really wanted to watch and wait and see what kind of books she chose. I thought it would tell me something and she would show herself something as well. She agreed, then paused. She stood up, stepped over, and then sat down beside me in my chair, squeezing her hips in close. But first, don't you want to know our secret? She asked me. We don't have any secrets, Bangs, I said solidly. she said, holding her hand out for me to see. It's a mood ring, 
and it turned all red as soon as I got close to you, she joked. If you kissed me, the glass would probably break open. Oh, God, if you kissed me, I swear I would go crazy. She threw her shoulders and then her head onto the back of the chair. She leaned her head against my shoulder. You really kept me waiting too long, Superstar. She was feeling warm against me. I still shook her off. Then she stood up, still staring. I don't have the time to play with your bangs, I told her. You might not have the time, but I know that you want to, she said, teasing. I decided then that her jeans were not much better than her red denim shorts. Even though her legs were fully covered and her belly button wasn't shown anymore, her pants seams were still squeezing and riding her curves and her blouse was thin and her figure was too powerful and alluring. Even just seeing her up close and feeling the bare skin of her forearm was too much for me. I'm not sure if it is because of where I'm from that I feel and think this way, but I like women and lately every little move certain ones certain ones of them make when captured in my eye sends a current through me that I'm forced to restrain and control. I was feeling that current right then and immediately I knew I had made a mistake. No matter how hard she came at me, I should have kept it moving without any words. If I had done that enough times, she would have to give up and be forced to go away, stay away. I stood up. Okay, but before you leave, because I can see you're getting uptight, just let me tell you what the fortune teller said about me and you. I don't believe in no fortune teller. Back in Sudan, this kind of thing is called kitaba, and even though some people involve themselves in it, most Sudanese surely try to avoid it. I had no interest in it, I thought to myself. Oh, but this lady is good. I went there with my friend Brittany, and this lady even knew that Brittany had two abortions, and it was Brittany's first time ever going there, Banks said, fully convinced. You see, this is how it works. You have to bring the fortune teller something that you have that you wear on your body, like a piece of jewelry, a necklace, or a piece of clothing that you wore but haven't washed yet, or like a coin that you have in your pocket all the time, or something like that. Then, the fortune teller holds it in her hand. She closes her eyes for a minute or more, and then she can tell you about your whole life. Like she can tell you what's going on in your life now and what's happening in your future also. Bangs finally paused for air. No, seriously. After Brittany gave the fortune teller her necklace, the one her mother gave her that she wears all the time, the fortune teller told her to have a seat. Then the lady closed her eyes and when she opened them, she said, it's not good for young ladies to have abortions. You have aborted two babies. Brittany's jaw dropped open and I was shocked and a little bit scared too. Then Brittany asked the fortune teller how could she know that about her. The fortune teller said because your two aborted babies are here with you now. They are both seated at your side. They will follow you around for your whole life. Sad at being unborn but connected to you still. Bangs jumped up out of my chair with real expression in her eyes. Superstar, I was scared like shit. 
But after Brittany's half hour was up, I wanted to turn too, but I didn't have the money. It cost $30. So I asked the fortune teller if I can come back to her. I told her I wanted to ask her about her person. The fortune teller said if I had the money, I could return. She told me to bring something of my own and something that belonged to the person who I was asking her about. So I did. Oh yeah, was all I said. Feeling like this was all some bullshit and planning to pull myself out of it and leave. But then Bane said, I wanted to ask the fortune teller about you, superstar. So, I took your hoodie out of my closet. Remember the hoodie that you wore that night? That the police was chasing you and your friends? The first night that you climbed into my bedroom window? Well, I gave it to the fortune teller. And I gave the fortune teller my t-shirt that I had on that night too because that night was so special to me. I was so happy that you came my way that I could just die. Now Bangs had my complete attention. Not only had I left my hoodie at her house that night, I left one of my guns. If she took the hoodie out of the closet and gave it to some stranger, I wondered what she might have done with my gun. I had always felt grateful to her because she helped me out on a night that the police were headhunting. In those situations, they don't care who actually did what. They just want to pump bullets into black bodies and deny it later. I had picked up my hoodie and my gun from Bangs after that incident, but now that I thought back, I recalled that I waited about four days before I went and got my shit back from her. I had wanted to be sure that the commotion and the surveillance and the search on her block had died down first. So the fortune teller held your hoodie and my t-shirt and she closed her eyes. When she opened them, she told me that you and I would be together for a lifetime. The fortune teller told me that you were at my side right then and you will always be on my side in the future. Bangs was staring into my eyes, this time to judge if her story had gotten to me. Did you move my guns out of your house at any time while you had it? I asked her seriously. Maybe I even frightened her. Now, come on. Don't try to play me. You know I'm better than that. Not only did I not move your gun, I didn't touch it. I don't know if you have bodies on it or not. <laughs> I know that much, superstar. I ain't dumb, she said. And it sounded true. I got calmer, son. So what do you think about what the fortune teller said? She asked, looking up into my eyes as though she wished she could read my mind. I think it's a hustle. And that lady don't know what she's talking about. Then how does she know about Britney's abortions, Bangs asked, dragging me into her soap opera. I don't know. She could have known already. Maybe since Britney's mother goes to the same lady, she confided that to her. You never know. The fortune teller's goal is just to get $30 from every customer. Think about it, I scolded her. Uh-uh, because why we went to her in the first place was because there was this lady on our block who had a son. Her little son was born with a straight line down the middle of his palm. I mean, it was a thick brown line that went straight through and over all of the other lines in his palm. Well, his fortune teller told the lady that her son would not live past 14 because of that line in his palm. And that boy was named Gregory Baker. He actually died on his 14th birthday, shot in the head at his own party by a jealous nigga. 
His mother told the story of what the fortune teller had said at his funeral. So everybody in the neighborhood got worried. It was like we were all checking the lines on our palms, then going to her to get our fortunes told. Bangs, you gonna be late going home and I gotta go. But I want to get you some books, like I said. So look around and show me what you like. I'm going to look also. Then we'll see. That's all I could give her. I had too much in, on my mind to consider anything deeper. So I left it at that. I could see that she and I were worlds apart in our state of mind. We were too far to close the gap. Still, I wanted to get her thinking differently for her sake. Muslims don't believe that it is right to hide the knowledge and turn people away from Islam or to assume that anyone in the world cannot learn the straight and narrow path to Allah. So I had a duty to at least introduce her to the right way and leave the rest to Allah. The faith section of Marty Bookbinder's store was the smallest of all the shelves. Marty had told me once over a game of chess that he didn't believe in God. I thought it was a strange confession because I knew that he was Jewish. I wondered how he could not believe in God, or for that matter, Ibrahim, Musa, Jesus, and Muhammad, all prophets sent by Allah, peace be upon them. I am Muslim, and we acknowledge all of Allah's prophets. I didn't debate Marty on his beliefs, didn't even comment, but after that I looked down on him some. I was able to find two copies of the Torah, the sacred book used by Jewish people, two copies of the Holy Bible as followed by Christian people, and two copies of the Holy Quran as followed by Muslim people. He also had the Gita, which I learned was followed by some people from India, and some Buddhist text as followed by some people throughout the Asian continent as well as other places in the world. I picked up one of the two copies of the Communist Manifesto, which was also there, I had never heard of it and was running out of time, so I put it back and chose a holy Quran. I also purchased a copy of a slim, 200-page, soft-cover book titled The Muslim Woman. Easily, I decided that these were the books I would gift her. I didn't want to think about if they were too much information for her or too difficult for her to read and understand. I just wanted to see what she would make happen in her own life. Thinking further, Marty Bookbinder's beliefs were different from my own, but I respected that he was comfortable providing his customers with a wide range of choices in religions and philosophies and subjects that he didn't agree with. It was almost closing before Baines came up with her two book choices. For half an hour, I saw her picking books up and pushing them back onto the shelves. She walked up to me with her choices, looking unsure of what she selected, but so confident about her body and style. Like most women, her eyes always gave her away. Most of these books in here is boring, she said casually, catching Marty's immediate attention. What kind of books do you like? Marty asked her, while ringing up my order on his register. I don't know, because I don't really like reading, she was answering Marty, but looking at me. Why should I read some book when I could be out doing something? Maybe if you read the right book, you'll be out doing something better, I told her. She smiled, stepped behind me, 
and leaned against the back of my body. Marty tried to act like he wasn't watching, but he was. Now I see why we didn't get to play chess tonight, Marty said, while accepting and counting out my payment. I smiled and grabbed our bags and said, your game is better in the afternoons anyway. Marty laughed some and followed us halfway through the door. Nice to meet you, Tiffany. Drop by any time. I'll get some new books in here that you might like. Good night, my friends. Outside, I handed Bangs her new books. She took them and stuffed her grandmother's dress in the bag also. It seems like you are always giving me something, Superstar. When you going to give me what I really want? Slow down, shorty, I told her calmly. She jumped up once, then shook her whole body and stamped each foot, throwing a temper tantrum. How could it get any slower, she asked. You got me waiting, waiting, waiting. It'd be different if nobody was getting it. But I know somebody getting it. It's just not me. Here, take this. I want to give it to you. She pointed to her front right jeans pocket. Her jeans were so tight I could see from the impression that she had something in there. I wasn't fooling for what she wanted me to put my hand in her snug pocket. That would be too much for me and she knew it. I didn't respond. She used her slender fingers to drag it out. Those are my feelings. It was the music she had been listening to on her Walkman, I figured. Nah, I'm good, I told her, believing that in this case, accepting her music would be the same as accepting her feelings for me. She leaped up and pushed the music up in my pocket and laughed and ran. Now she wanted me to chase her. When I didn't, she ran back to me. I checked my date just. You got nine minutes to get home on time, Bangs, I reminded her. If you give me a kiss, Superstar, you don't have to walk me back. I promise I'll run straight home and beat the motherfucking clock. She smiled mischievously, rocking back and forth on her Reeboks and then shifting side to side. She was always bursting with energy and couldn't keep still for more than a few seconds. I'll walk you back, I said, a subtle way of declining her enticing kissing offer. But I'm not going inside your house, I'm telling you right now. Matter of fact, I'll take the shortcut up to the back of your house. Then I gotta break out. I got something important to do. You won't say hi to my grandmother? She likes you so much. She asks about you all the time. Since you don't come around, Grandma be asking me, what did you do wrong to him? And she been feeling sick lately. If she saw us together, she would probably cheer up. Nah, it's late. If she's sick, she should sleep. Don't give her a hard time either. If she's sick, you should be taking care of your baby instead of leaving her in the house. Oh, you remember my daughter, Bang said sarcastically. Who forgets a baby, I asked. Besides, your milk, I said, pointing to the spot on her thin blouse. I know. Every time it's time for her to suck, no matter where I'm at, my milk starts leaking and shooting out. She laughed at herself, a little embarrassed. But she didn't need to be embarrassed about that in front of me. It was that kind of thing that seduced me the most. It was being up close and seeing and feeling that that caused me to stay away but she kept coming back. At the back of Bangs' house, I watched as she walked slowly on purpose through the alleyway that led to the front. She knew I was watching, so she swang her hips more for me. She kept glancing back at me and smiling. As soon as she stepped to turn the corner onto her stoop, 
I left. I was close to the subway about to go down the stairs when Bangs came racing back without her bag of books. They took her, she said, stopping short in her face the opposite of how it was only seconds ago. My grandmother, the ambulance came and took her. Bangs was gasping and tears were welling up in her eyes. Then she gotta be at the closest hospital. Take it easy. Did you lock up your house? I asked her. No, I never even went in the house. My neighbor, Mrs. King, was sitting right there on my stoop waiting for me. She said the ambulance came and took my grandmother and that my uncle took the baby. Her body began trembling. Mrs. King said that she had offered to hold the baby till I got right back, but my uncle said no and he took my daughter. Mrs. King said she didn't argue with him because she could smell the liquor on him and didn't want and didn't want him to start acting crazy like she knew he would. I'm going to kill him. Bang spoke with a forceful tone, but not a loud voice as though she truly meant it. He probably went up to the hospital to see about your grandmother. She's his mother, right? Don't worry. He'll bring the baby right back. What's he going to do with an infant who needs breast milk? I said, trying to console her. But she gave me a flat stare. Without any words, she reminded me with her eyes that her uncle was her rapist. Her uncle was a man who never worried about pleasing his mother or protecting his family. In fact, he was the biggest threat to all of them. And except for her trembling, Bangs was finally standing still, face stiff with anger, spilling hot tears. He didn't take the baby to keep her safe. He took her to control me, to make me do whatever he say. That's what he does. He wouldn't even go and check on grandma. That's how he do, she said, as though she was 100% sure that she was right. I checked my watch, but I really didn't have to. I knew for certain it was time for me to go get Uma. I peeled a 20 from the pile I had in my pocket and handed it to Bangs. Take a taxi to the closest hospital. Go and check everything out first before you panic. Are you coming with me? She asked, as I knew she would. Her uncle is her baby's father. I thought to myself about the sickening truth, and even though I felt for Bangs, I hated her uncle and liked her infant daughter and grandmother. I put Uma first, my mother, and my purpose. I left.